Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. Do you think it's possible to have work that you love? You know, sometimes when I throw that out there, 48 Days to the Work You Love, people scratch their heads like, are you kidding me? Isn't work something we just naturally hate? We have all these cliches in our culture. Thank God it's Friday. Oh God, it's Monday. You know, we have this natural animosity toward the one thing that we spend the most time doing. What's up with that action? Well, we're going to talk about how to change that mentality, how to really, truly find or create something that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Sometimes people think there's a catch-22 there. They think, well, if I really did what I love to do, then I'm going to have to learn to live on beans and rice. My family's going to suffer. No, it's a whole lot easier doing, making money doing something you love than trying to be responsible doing something you hate. Well, we're going to talk about that and more. Your questions here on this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. Here's some of the things that people are asking this week. Well, here's a comment. Dan, I just got an offer to work for an amazing company, and this position will more than double my income. How cool is that? We got some more letters and notes from people about how they're finding things, even in this recession, the down economy, all those things you hear. Yeah, guess what? There's opportunities all around us if we know how to look for them. Dan, is it possible to be a life coach when you haven't really succeeded yet in life yourself? There's an interesting one. Dan, I'm potentially interested in purchasing somebody's copyrighted material. Can I please get your opinion on being a stay-at-home dad? Hey, there's a hot potato. We'll unpack that one. Somebody says, Dan, you give me enthusiasm and hope for finding God's purpose for my life and actually getting paid for it. And then somebody wants to know, why are you having your new book published with a big time publisher instead of doing it yourself? Well, I talk a lot about new products that we release every month around here. We do a lot of that. Why would I go with a publisher if I already know how to publish and have an audience? I'll tell you why. Yeah, there's some good reasons for that. Well, here's our quotation for the day. Actually, I'm going to do a little preface here. The quotation is going to come from Dr. Seuss, who we all know is a master of deep thinking. Well, you know, Dr. Seuss is more in the limelight right now because of the Lorax, the movie that's out. Pretty interesting phenomenon. Here's a guy that's been dead for 21 years and his books and movie rights and all those things keep increasing, not decreasing. Now, we understand if Elvis or Michael Jackson, you know, somebody like that, goes to the other side, how their work may be promoted by a team of really, you know, creative people and things keep escalating. But here's a guy that wrote kids books. Well, he was a journalist, an editor, a writer. He was capable of writing very deep things, but you know, his best selling book, the cat in the hat has 225 words. I find that amazing. 225 words. Sometimes I think that we make success complicated. We think if you're really going to be successful, it has to be something that's never been done before, something really revolutionary. Yeah, sometimes it can be something pretty simple as long as it is remarkable. If you're doing work where somebody else could step in your shoes easily, 
you are very vulnerable. If you're doing work that's remarkable, something that draws on unique skills that only you have, you have job security. Nobody can replace you. You're in, man. Well, hey, this is the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you got a question, just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. You can leave a question or comment there. We're happy to include that. You know, I want to title this segment today, Do You Want a Pill for Success? What do you think? What if you could take a pill and be more successful? Well, frankly, I think you can. Here's why. There's a couple of recent studies out. One shows that I just heard about yesterday. One shows that amoxicillin, the most popular antibiotic for colds, fever, infections, whatever, doesn't really make any difference if you take it or not. But people, when they get a cold, a sniffle, they expect something. So they run to the doctor and the doctor feels obligated to give them something. So there's a very common drug that is prescribed but he really could give you an M&M and it'd have the same results. Now, isn't that interesting? And then there was a recent piece on 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, where she interviewed some very high-level physicians and scientists about the effects of some of the psychotropic drugs that are given to people who are depressed, and they found essentially the same thing. The medicine really doesn't make any difference. They can give you a sugar pill, a placebo, and the results are going to be essentially the same. Now, I know there are certainly exceptions to all these things, and I'm sure there you may know of cases where the drug really made a difference, but the studies really don't confirm that the drugs have much to do with it. When I did my master's thesis in clinical psychology years ago, here's what I did for my thesis. This is back when growth groups, experiential groups, gestalt groups were really popular. You, know, you get people together and scratch each other's backs and emotionally at least and everybody comes out more self-actualized i wanted to do a study on that does can we really track an effect of having people in groups where we go through these warm fuzzy processes where they become more self-actualized there is a, a inventory that actually measures scores you for that so we here here's how i did this though I mean, the studies have, have always shown that, yeah, those kind of groups really do work. It's like, you know, psychotherapy. If somebody wants to get better, yeah, you go and work with a shrink and you end up feeling better. However, if you just match people for age and sex as a control group, you don't really controlling the critical variable, that being somebody's desire to get better, which is shown by them taking the initiative to go to a psychotherapist or go to a growth group. So what I did for my master's thesis, we announced on campus that I was going to be doing these. And we had a couple hundred people show up. We split the group. One half was a control group. One half we then actually took through the eight week, I think it was, process of growth groups. We split those up and had multiple groups where everybody went through there. We tested people at the beginning and at the end. And sure enough, those who went through the growth groups did increase in things like self-confidence, poise, self-esteem, self-actualization, those things we were measuring. But guess what? The people who were in the control group who didn't get anything during that period of time, they increased as well. So the key was not all the magic we did in those groups. The key was the fact that the people expected and wanted something better in their lives. They figured out other ways to get that, obviously, if they read a book or 
uh, talked to some friends or whatever, but they all increased over the period of time. So the key was the desire to want something better. So that's bringing me back to my pill for success. If I had a pill and I could give somebody a pill and said, look, you take this pill guaranteed. You're going to find a job in the next five days. If somebody took that really believe in that, what do you think is going to happen? See, I hear from people that say, well, I'm going to go out today and see who's not going to hire me. Well, if you go out to see who's not going to hire you, guess what kind of results you're going to get? What if you took a pill where you believed it was going to make the difference? You were going to get a job. I think that actually would happen. You know, we've played with this some, I guess, inadvertently by having the 48 peppermint candies that we have that go out with any order that goes out of 48 days. It's in a box, any combination of products. It has the 48 peppermint candies in there. Now we go through a lot of these. I did it. I did this years ago just as a marketing gimmick to tell people, well, you take one of these a day and at the end of 48 days, you're going to enter a new season of your life, a new higher level of success. Well, guess what? People expected that. They really did. They really, you know, got kind of got into it. And we've heard some from a lot of people and thus we've never discontinued doing that. And it's been years now. We go through a lot of those candies, incidentally, when those are delivered here out to the sanctuary out here in the country outside of Franklin, Tennessee. I mean, there's a 53 foot 18 wheeler that comes carefully turning in our drive and comes back here. Now, I'm not seeing the whole thing is full of candies. That would be, you know millions and millions, but I mean, it comes delivered like that where they then use a forklift to unload pallets of those candies because we go through a lot of them. But in some ways we've essentially created a pill for success. You take these, if you really believe at the end of 48 days, you're going to go into a higher level of success. That's why we get the kind of letters that we do from people that say, guess what? I'm going to read one to you here in just a minute. Now, because of that, I've really got to thinking about this more that what if we really had a pill where people expected that they were going to be more successful, that, they, that their business was going to succeed, or they were going to get a job. Whatever it was that we outlined on the front end, it really was going to happen as a result of taking this pill. So I jumped on, I went to GoDaddy, and I've reserved a couple domains there. I've got pill for success and pill for the number four success. We'll do something with that. If you got ideas, hey, shoot them to me. Shoot a note to askdan at 48days.com. Give me your ideas about how we could use a pill or what the ingredients ought to be in a pill for success. I think we could do something like that. This could be like the next pet rock or something like that. Just a novel idea where people um, get a pill for success. Well, here's a note from Matt who kind of comments on that. He took one of these pills. Apparently he says, thanks so much for what you do. I want to, I want you to tell your listeners that there really is hope. Now listen to this. I was scraping by in a somewhat decent paying job that I absolutely hated. I listened to 48 days probably five times through along with your podcast for the past 10 months and decided to make a change using your 48 days methods. I just got an offer to work for an amazing company and this position will more than double my previous income. Not only that, but they have incredible benefits and perks. The crazy part is we're in a recession, arguably, he says. I'm 24 years old. I have no degree, nor do I have any experience in the industry. I simply highlighted my strengths and competencies. I was positive and enthusiastic, had a killer resume cover letter and got the job. Thanks again, Dan, Matt. Wow. Thanks for sharing, Matt. I mean, we get a lot of letters. I got a a note yesterday from a gal and she said, in essence, she said, I, 
I know you probably get a lot of these letters and don't even pay attention to them, but I just had to tell you what happened. She proceeded how she went through a similar process like this and is doing something she absolutely loved, you know, doubled her income, same kind of thing. No, I never get tired of hearing those letters and stories. I mean, that's what keeps me going. I never get tired of hearing how someone read or listened with an open mind. You did the introspection. You got clear in where you wanted to be. You created a timeline and a plan of action and did it. Man, that keep those, keep those coming. I mean, I want to hear that. I want to hear these things work. Keep taking those pills for success. <laughs> that that's what we need more of. Perhaps if you believe it, you're halfway home right there. Well, Nick says my girlfriend enjoys her corporate gig and is well liked there. She's been there for about eight months. Would like to move up. Her immediate boss will not allow her to move up until she has spent a year in the position. Although he has allowed others to leave sooner. She has upsold over a million dollars in product in her entry level position in her first six months without any commissions or bonuses. She now wants to move to a different department, but her boss won't allow her to interview. I feel she's being taken advantage of because she's doing so well. What would you suggest? And then he adds PS. She got her current job two weeks after reading 48 days to the work you love. Well, Nick, we always have multiple choices. Nobody's trapped. And especially with the situation that you're describing here, I mean, your girlfriend can uh, stay where she is for a year. I mean, that's not an unreasonable goal. If she's been there eight months already, we're only talking what June or July. I mean, that's going to go by in a blink of an eye. Use that time to continue learning to really refining your skills defining what your skills are, your areas of competence are even more. I mean, that's not an unreasonable kind of approach. So that's number one. You could do that. I think that'd be a pretty good option in this situation. Number two, you could, I mean, she could go over the boss's head, interview with another department anyway, but that's likely to create some animosity and uh, that may not be worth the friction that it may cause. Or she could certainly do a job search just based on her success there with other companies and leverage her move up in that way. But again, a a company, if you have a year under your belt, it really does help you more than having, you know, six, eight months. So uh, even to do that, I would encourage her to go ahead and stay for a year. So I would start with that and then see if there really is opportunities to make the changes that she's looking for. Brian from Georgia says, I heard you say in your podcast the other day to ask ourselves what activity makes time fly for us. I've been an educator for 15 years, but I no longer have the desire to do so in a traditional setting. I want to teach adults to reach their full potential with me being a life coach. But how can I teach others to be successful when I feel like I've not been successful myself, at least in the long term? My single greatest talent is that I can absorb subject content and then teach it passionately and effectively. Is it possible to be a life coach when you haven't really succeeded yet in life yourself? Am I qualified? Well, it's a great question to ask, but let me kind of just uh, feed it back to you. And, and this is part of the coaching process because in coaching, you're not teaching. Now, I think your teaching background is a great asset. And in many ways you have been coaching, even doing that, but, but coaching is a little bit different, but it, here's an example. Rather than just teaching you something, let me ask you a question. And this is a lot of what we do in coaching is ask questions. Let me ask you, Are people coming to you now asking for your advice and opinion? If they are, 
then positioning yourself as a coach is probably a pretty reasonable thing to do. If they are not, then I don't think there's any book you can read that's going to magically flip the switch where people want to come and see you as a coach. So coaching is not something that you learn how to do it from reading a book or taking a class. You have to learn by doing it. Now, that being said, I'm not diminishing the value of taking classes and learning about it. That ought to go along with the process of doing it. But I think you can do both. You can take courses. You can come to our Coaching with Excellence live event that we do here three times a year. I mean, that we can help you position yourself and help show, show you how to make your offerings attractive and how to turn that into significant income. You can take courses from like ICF, International Coach Federation, or a ton of other organizations out there. But ultimately, you've got to get in the trenches and be doing it to refine your skills. I think in teaching, which is what you've had in your background, there really is more expectation that you know the material being taught. As a coach, you need to be able to ask those probing questions so the client can uncover their own answer and solution. Can you coach people? excellence when you're still on that journey yourself well yes obviously that you have to i would have to say yes because if i said no the implication is almost that you have to be perfect in every way before you could coach anybody else well nobody's going to be there i mean we can look at tony robbins or somebody who's really high profile like that is he perfect in every way well i'm sure he's not um i know he's not as a matter of fact but can he coach others absolutely but we kind of come back to we used to toss these questions around when I was in graduate school, you know, can, can you help somebody quit smoking if you've never smoked yourself? And can you help somebody stop drinking if you don't have alcoholic tendencies yourself? Can you be a marriage counselor if you're divorced? Well, as a coach, yes, you can help people move to higher levels of success in their lives. Even if they're areas that you've struggled with yourself. I mean, I've coached a lot of women on the issue of, of not really wanting a career because what they really wanted was to be married, have a little house with a white picket fence and two kids in the yard. That's what they really wanted. Now I've never experienced that exact situation, but let's say that I wanted to, geez, I wanted to play in the NBA, but then I have to be realistic about the fact that I'm only five, eight and I realize it's not going to happen. So certainly there are situations where, you know, I want something that seems out of reach. How do you deal with that? So I can coach a lady in that scenario, even if I'm not going to experience that exactly myself. Now, if you go to 48days.net and Brian, I checked there, I know you're already a member there. And a matter of fact, you've asked this question, got some really good feedback about it there. I see. But if you go to 48days.net right in the homepage there, we've got a big starburst, red starburst right in the center of the homepage that says, do you want to be a coach? If you go there, I've got a lot of information about how to be a coach, how to get involved with us if you want to do that, but how to refine your coaching skills and do that. Here's a related question, really. Jim says, Dan, I wonder if you can ask, uh, um, answer these questions. What's the difference between a life coach and a career coach? How does someone go about finding a life coach or career coach? I've never found any organization online of life or career coaches. Well, Jim, for one thing, if you put in life coaches, just in a Google search, you're going to get millions of sites. I mean, there's a whole lot of sites out there that will direct you to coaches. You can go to the coaching link at 48days.net or 48days.com and see coaches that we endorse, 
lot of coaches that have come through our coaching with excellence program here and we now endorse them. We refer people to them. So there are certainly a lot of coaches out there that you can find as to the distinction between life coach and career coach. That's not a hard line. I mean, there are, if I am known primarily as a career coach, which I am. So I have somebody come to me and they don't want to be a dentist anymore. So we need to make a career transition. We're going to explore that person's physical well-being, their spiritual vitality. We're going to look at relationships. We're going to look at core beliefs. We're going to look at personal mission statement. We're going to look at a whole lot of things that look like life issues, not just career. It's hard to isolate in any one area where you are not open to dealing with the other areas. Nobody comes with a singular issue. If somebody comes with a weight problem, that's going to be revealed in a whole lot of other areas of their life. Poor self-esteem, poor confidence, perhaps, you know, family issues. I mean, those are all going to be part of it. So in, in one sense, anybody who's a coach better be prepared to be a life coach. Now, whether you call yourself for that or not, that's irrelevant. You can position yourself as a gardening coach or a diabetes coach or a career coach or a spiritual direction coach. You know, there's a whole lot of different areas, but still those areas do not stand alone in isolation. You're dealing with a whole person, not just one issue. Well, Brent says, Dan, I love your show. Appreciate all you do. I'm potentially interested in purchasing somebody's copyrighted material. There's a series of technical training videos that a guy did back in the mid nineties. I don't see them anywhere in circulation anymore. And I think I could repurpose them for my business. How would I go about approaching him for the rights to his information? I really want to purchase them outright and use the videos as I see fit. Of course, I would not claim the information to be my own and would cite him as the originator. If we were able to agree on a fair price, what would be the legal steps I would take to secure my rights? Thanks for your time and insight. I'm really glad you're doing the work you love as it has had an incredible impact on me. Well, thanks, Brad. Here's how you handle intellectual property like this. It really isn't as complicated as what you might think. About a year ago, Joanne and I were getting ready to head out somewhere. We were at the airport. I had picked up the Tennessee and the national, the local Nashville paper and saw that a small publisher here was going out of business and they happened to be the publisher of one of the titles that we sell a lot of copies of the book. The book is titled the little book of big ideas. I picked up the phone, called him, got right through to the publisher. One of those fortuitous kind of events got right through, talked to him had a three minute conversation and purchased the rights to that book. Little book of big ideas. So I have the original files. I've got the cover files. I've got the contract with the author, the whole deal. That wasn't a complicated kind of thing. I mean, we just, they just, I mean, we have like a one page agreement that just shows it was transferred to me for X number of dollars. In that case, I paid a thousand dollars. So I didn't write the book, no blood, sweat and tears. I just paid a thousand bucks and I own the, on the book. We're going to republish it. I'm going to put all my own updates in there, links to our own material and all of that. Again, I'll credit the original author as you're implying here, not a big deal. But so the first thing to find out is, is the, is there a publisher? It's not a matter of just knowing who created the material. Is there a publisher? If there's a publisher, then that's who you negotiate with. Now, if not, then you deal with 
the person himself. But don't be afraid to open the door for that discussion. There's nothing really complicated about it. You can get the outright rights to it. He may just say, hey, give me 5000 bucks. The whole thing is yours. He may say, just use it. Give me a $200 a year licensing fee as long as you're using it. You may have some other kind of arrangement. And all you need is just some simple agreement that shows what you, in fact, have agreed to. It doesn't need to be complicated. You don't need to hire a team of attorneys and all of that. Just write up what you agreed to and go with it. You'll be fine. Kyle from Michigan says, Dan, I'm in the process of applying for jobs in my career field. My question for you is, how often should I email or call a business to check the status of the hiring process? Once a week, every other week? When I do this, I feel I'm being proactive and showing my enthusiasm for wanting their open position. However, from an employer's perspective, I might appear like a nagging child always asking, Daddy, are we there yet? It's frustrating when I don't hear anything back. Do I take that as a sign as I am not their top choice? Thanks in advance. Keep up the great work. Now, if you have, and I can't really tell from your question here, if you've already interviewed with them, then you have earned the right. That's an old Dale Carnegie term where in the Dale Carnegie program, which I highly recommend incidentally, but you talk about something where you've earned the right. So if you're going to give a two minute presentation, if they ask me to give a two minute presentation, you know, they, they're not going to ask me to give a two minute pre- presentation on the current tension between Israel and Iran. I'm not an expert on that. I don't have any experience in that. I'm not going to speak with any authority. So I have not earned the right. So you asked me to talk about, you know, employment trends or how this recession affects a person's ability to start a business or he asked me about old muscle cars or buying and selling cars. I mean, there are things that I do know about where I've earned the right. If you have interviewed with the company, you have earned the right to then be in touch with them every four or five days until you get a hard yes or no. Now, this is really true, even if they have a position promoted and even if you haven't interviewed yet, but what you want to be going for hard at that point is an interview. Don't just ask, you know, as if you filled a position with it, I mean, make them know you are a top candidate for that. That's what you want initially. But once you have interviewed, yeah, you have the right to contact them every four or five days. If it goes for three months, you can continue to do that. And what can often happen is that they have not made a fast decision. And so after two or three weeks, you're the only one still contacting them and it moves you into the top of the list. You get the, you get the top of mind positioning because of your persistence and that can tip the scale. Even if they didn't see you as the top candidate initially, I've seen it happen again and again and again. Well, you are listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we take your questions, real-life questions, unpack them, the kind of questions that impact all of us. Not likely to be something that affects you only. If you got a question, go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Shoot your question in there, or just shoot it to Ask Dan at 48 Days. We'd be delighted to consider that for an upcoming show. Now, here's an interesting question. This, this, is a, this is a hot potato, and I'm going to have to just give you my opinion. Rob says, Dan, can I please get your opinion on being a stay-at-home dad? My son is two and a half and goes to day school four to five days a week for a few hours. In addition to taking care of my son, uh, I would be the point person for doing the household duties, home improvements, etc. 
My wife and I are seriously considering this transition. In a nutshell, she's the breadwinner. I now have a part-time job that I like, but the hours are 2 to 10 p.m., so it makes it hard, you know, for us to have overlap time as a family, blah, blah, blah. It'd be easier if I was just a stay-at-home dad. Thanks for all you do. I have never seen this work very well, frankly. There's just too much of a role reversal. And this is not just about sexual equality and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not just some old school dude who says, you know, we got to be current with the times. I recognize all that. I just have never seen it work very well. If the guy steps totally out of the role of being the breadwinner. Now, I've certainly worked with situations. I had a situation a couple years ago, a young couple. Uh, they really wanted to think about having children. She was a high-level attorney making over $400,000 a year. He was a city cop, absolutely loved what he was doing, making $37,000. So her income was more than 10 times his income. They were thinking about having children and thought, well, maybe he ought to quit his job. Now, as it turns out in that situation, they decided not to have children. They both loved their jobs. Neither wanted to give up, give it up. So they decided they just would not be parents. Now, there are situations where a woman, because of her education or position or seniority or whatever, where income is significantly more than the guys and they try that. I think always see it as a transition time as a time maybe when the kids are little before they get into school or something but ultimately i don't think it works very well now you can check out there's a whole lot of support groups out there you can check sites like daddyshome.org and athomedad.org and there's a whole bunch of them because there's more and more dads who are in fact doing this here's what if my wife were a cardiologist and she, it made a lot more sense for me just to stay home than her. I would instantly be looking for ways to generate significant income. I might be looking at real estate deals and online businesses and stock trading, buying and selling cars. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of ways to still be in the game financially, but I cannot imagine having to ask my wife for money to go to the grocery store or to go get the car washed. And I just can't imagine that undermining our relationship. Now, I'm sure there are exceptions, but I'm just telling you, you ask for my opinion, I wouldn't do it in a million years. I, I just think it would, I think it would undermine what I want my marriage to be. And I hope that doesn't sound chauvinistic. I don't intend it to be that way. Perhaps that's the way it comes across, but I couldn't do it. Manea from uh, Flagstaff asked, Dan, I just finished No More Mondays after reading 48 Days. I've been so inspired by the books. Now I'm going to move myself, my husband, and our three kids back to Los Angeles so I can reconnect with my acting, writing, something I've always done since childhood but gave up on after the birth of my first child. I moved away from L.A. back in 2005, but now after getting an education in aesthetics, hypnotherapy, holistic nutrition, life coaching, I realized that I need to return to what I love and incorporate all my new skills to ensure my success. So I'm launching a website that helps other struggling actors trying to stay motivated and encouraged. I'm wondering if I should charge a small membership fee for members or if I should just have some sample sessions and offer personal sessions for a charge, trying to decide which would be the best path. 
okay, so you want to provide support for struggling actors, entertainers, and you want to have a website to do that, and you're wondering whether or not to have a membership fee or not. I am not a fan of membership sites. And there's there's several really obvious reasons. One is people expect information to be free on the internet, especially when they don't know you don't have a history with you. Why would they pay a membership? So if you're going to have a membership site, I think it ought to come after a couple of years of creating relationships with a whole lot of people. So you got 10,000 people in your network and now you start a membership site and you have a thousand of them decide they want to join because they trust you and love you. I mean that you can do, but you're talking about starting out. I would not start with a membership site. It's going to dramatically reduce the number of people who are going to get involved. So the question then becomes, would you rather have a membership site where they're paying some little fee and you've got 200 people or would you rather have, you know, 15,000 people that you have access to that you can speak to, invite to your workshops, invite to look at your new materials that you've created, invite to come to a live event. I would rather do the latter, not the former. We were the 48 days.net. We looked at the same issue. Should we have this be a membership site? We elected not to at this point, we have not, uh, 10,934 people involved. That means I've got almost 11,000 people that I can talk about live events that we got coming up, any new product that we have coming up. I mean, they help me test ideas. They give me feedback. I mean, I want that kind of an audience to relate to. I don't want to limit that to just a few people who were brave enough to pay a little monthly fee. So I'm going to look for a revenue model, not as a membership, but as a result of all the back end things that you can do. And you can certainly do with the concept you're talking about here, but I would encourage you to do that rather than a membership site where it limits your exposure and connection possibilities dramatically right on the front end. Now here's, here's one that comes from Paul, Paul Mayende in Kampala, Uganda. I love these kind of letters uh, reference to one when we started out. Here's another one. He says, Dan, I read the 48 low cost business ideas that you put together. I've thought out five ideas at the start of last month, just February of 2012. I invested about $500 us dollars into a drugstore, got a trained nurse to oversee it in the pa- in the first month we posted net revenue or profits of over $200. It's amazing to both me and my wife. Now we're planning a baby's boutique mid this year. Thanks for those life-changing ideas that you encouraged us to steal and let you know how they were doing. Well, I did exactly that. The 48 low cost business ideas was just ideas I put together. Most of them cost nothing to do, but I said, let it stimulate your own ideas. If you want to take an idea that's in there and do it, absolutely help yourself do it better than I ever did and just rock and roll with it. But here's somebody who took an idea that stimulated another idea based on his own background. And now he's got this little drugstore in Kampala, Uganda with 200 bucks back in the first 30 days with a $500 investment. That means that in less than 90 days, he's going to recapture his entire investment and go right on into profitability. Well, that's a great ROI return on investment for any idea that you would do. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Keep those, keep those letters coming in. Love to hear about it. Paul. Thanks for sharing. Congratulations on taking action. Nina says, Dan, I enjoy your show. Always learn something question using nurturing marketing. 
Are there advantages or disadvantages to a shorter newsletter more often or a longer newsletter less often? Thanks, Nina. Now, Nina's referring to, I I talk a lot about nurture marketing. So if you want to do leadership seminars for corporations, so you identify a hundred companies where there would be a prospective match of what you do and what they need every month, they get something from you. Nurture marketing is not just a term I made up. It's really a term developed by Jim Cecil. And you can go, if you just search for nurture marketing, I'm sure it's going to take you right there. And it really is a program that helps you understand how to do this nurture marketing. So every month, a company or a target prospect is getting something from you and it helps create that top of mind positioning and open the door for you. I'm a big believer in the process. I've used it myself very successfully multiple times. Encourage you to do it. When you're doing that, when you're doing unsolicited outbound marketing like that, I think once a month is enough. I think if it's more than that, people will tend to just block you out. But if it's once a month with something that really is helpful to them, not just buy my stuff, but rather here's something you may find interesting. Here's how to hire a winner and know you've got a winner on the front end. Here's how to keep good employees. I mean, whatever the subject tap happens to be, give them something once a month and it needs to be short anyway. So once a month is my preference and still keep it short, keep it five to 700 words. That's going to be very adequate. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller, 48 Days Online Radio. If you've got a question, just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Be happy to consider the inclusion of that question in an upcoming show. Keep them coming. Love to look at them. This is one of the highlights of my week each week where I get to go through your questions, pull out a few that we can unpack here, kind of share together, discuss together in ways that will help us all. Well, Jordan from Tucson says, Dan, I've often heard you giving advice on offering to work for a company for free for a week or two. Can you give some stories on how this has worked out for people? What actually happened as a result of the offer? Have you heard of folks that would turn down such an offer and why? Or is there a time that you should not use this approach? Have been a keen follower of what you do and love your approach to work and life. Thanks for your encouragement, inspiration, Jordan. Well, thanks for your question. This is still a very legitimate approach. Yes, to offer to work for a week or a month or two months or whatever free. Now the closest thing we have to that, that may be more recognizable would be an internship. And I talked to a lady yesterday whose son, who I know is going to be spending the summer in between his, I believe junior and senior years in college. He's going to be spending the summer as an intern with Glenn Beck. So he's moving down to Texas and I'm sure it's just an unpaid internship, but he's going to be learning you know, under a high profile politician, I'm not sure what to call Glenn Beck, but anyway, he's going to be learning some unique things as a result of being there. And I'm sure that's just an unpaid internship, but those things often turn into real jobs. I mean, my son, Jared, who's in Mombasa, Kenya has interns come over there and he has interns from Vanderbilt, Pepperdine, Rhode Island school of design who come over there. They're no, no, they're not going to get paid, but they have some amazing things to put on their resume and their credentials as a result of doing that for free. So it, it primes the pump, so to speak, and getting them in front of employers who are going to value those skills. And what we see too much of in our culture is somebody who got a degree last week. So they got their fancy college degree in their hand and they go out here and say, Hey, you know, guarantee me $80,000 a year, uh, company car, 401k contributions, medical coverage, 
a week at the company condo, you know, four weeks vacation, and then I'll show up on Monday and show you what I can do. It's really lopsided. That's a big risk on the part of a company to do that. So this is a legitimate model to say, don't pay me anything. Let me just show up. Let me just come in here and hang around for a week. And then you can decide if I'm somebody that really can make a contribution that's needed to your company. Jacob says, now I like this. Jacob says, you've helped many of us with our questions. This time I'd like to offer a suggestion I think will help you. Currently the 48 days newsletter is cumbersome to view on a smartphone. These days I do almost all my reading on a smartphone, which means I rarely read your newsletters despite it being great content. I suggest formatting the newsletter for easy reading on mobile devices. I believe this would boost your newsletter readership. I know what it would by at least one. Thanks for all the great content you produce to help people get to the work they love. Jacob. Well, thanks Jacob for your comment. I take that very seriously. You know, in today's environment, you don't have to wait for something to be perfect to get it out there. And I never do that. We're just getting ready to have a right to the bank event here at the sanctuary. And in that I show the development, the evolution of the 48 days to the work you love product. I mean, I started with that where I went to Kinko's had a little thing put together in a spiral bound with a hard stock cover. I mean, it was very elementary, believe me, but I put that together. Then I added a little cassette tape. We just started selling those. And then I got real fancy and put it in a three ring binder, still just printed on one side of the paper cassette stuck down in the little on or the little pocket on the inside there. Of course, then we went to CDs, but I sold over $2 million worth of that rough little product before I ever talked to a publisher. I'm always looking for ways to get feedback from customers and users, listeners and readers. So we never wait on anything to be perfect. This is a great example. Now I take your suggestion very seriously. The things we have developed on 48days.net, most of those are a result of member suggestions. So we started that with a really minimal shell of letting people come in and share ideas and post forum questions and, blog in there and create their own groups. We just developed it as we went along. And most of the things there are direct result of one of the members saying, Hey, why don't you do this? And that's why we have a 40, a couple different 48 days apps. Now it was members who said, Hey, I can do that. Let me do this. So I take your suggestion very seriously. And I shot it immediately when I got it to Missy, who's head of our web team, technology team. She says, MailChimp, who I guess is who we use for our newsletter outbound list. MailChimp does offer a mobile friendly template, but you have to choose one or the other. We can't have two templates for the same campaign. So apparently we can have it set up so it's perfect for mobile devices, but then it's not read easily in regular email or the other way around. However, she says MailChimp automatically creates a mobile friendly version of the newsletter. Anyone having trouble viewing on their mobile needs to do this. Click on the upper right-hand side of the newsletter where it says email not displaying correctly. View it in your browser. This will take you to the web version of the newsletter. At the top of that version, there will be a button to view the email on a mobile browser. Not the prettiest version of the newsletter, she says, but it's definitely readable. So again, thanks. And these are things we're always looking at, but we welcome suggestions for how we can make things better. 
Joel from North Carolina says, Dan, I'm so grateful for your books and podcast. You give me enthusiasm for hope and hope for finding God's purpose for my life and actually getting paid for it. I'm 45 years old, currently teaching in a private Christian high school. I do not enjoy the job. Kids are great, but I'm utterly worn out at the end of each day due to my introverted personality and the fact that I must teach content I don't really care about. Previously, I worked as a pastor for 15 years. I love public speaking. I'm repeatedly told that it's a profound gift. As a pastor, I enjoyed preaching, but not the leadership or other interpersonal requirements of the job. I've considered careers as varied as speaking to organic farmers, to restaurant owners, but haven't the experience or knowledge. Can you help? Yeah, what you need to do, Joel, is to just take a deep breath, sit back, and identify the two or three strongest areas of competence that you have. I mean, as a teacher or as a pastor, you might have been expected to do 20 different things. Identify the two or three that you really most enjoyed. Then look for two or three industries where those competencies could be used well. Then identify 30 to 40 companies or organizations in those industries. Do a job search. Or, of course, you can just market yourself well as an independent. But I kind of detect from the way you're laying this out that that you aren't thrilled about the, you say you're more introverted. So I'm taking it that you aren't thrilled about the marketing that would be required to position yourself as an independent speaker. However, here's the rub with that. You need, if you're going to be a speaker, you need to be your own biggest cheerleader. You need to be the one that's going out here and making new contacts, promoting yourself and getting those opportunities. There is not a speaker's bureau in the world that you're going to find. That's going to just book you and you just show up. I mean, I'm listed with the finest speakers bureaus in the world They don't book me for anything. They just handle the details if I flip them something that I've already been contacted about. So if you aren't willing to get out here and market yourself and sell, then uh, forget being a professional speaker. Find other areas of competencies that would line up with getting a job somewhere. Okay, and this comes up, and we're going to end with this one. Brad, I'll squeeze this one in. Brad, Brad from California says, I really enjoy your show. Question, now that you've done the hard work and built your community, why are you having your new book published with a big-time publisher instead of doing it yourself and making a lot more per sale? Man, I'll tell you what. I mean, you can, you can rest assured, Brad, I've asked myself that question a thousand times before I negotiated an agreement that I have with this publisher. Now, I do have a book coming out in September, Wisdom Meets Passion. I'm doing that with Thomas Nelson. Delighted to be working with them, having a lot of fun as we get ready for that. Here's some of the reasons. They have a much broader marketing reach than I do. I mean, I've had publishers that have gotten me into Costco, Walmart, Sam's, places like that, that I could never do as an individual. In foreign languages, I mean, I have books out there in Spanish, simple Chinese, complex Chinese, Romanian, Portuguese, and a whole lot more. I couldn't do that as an individual. So if I, here's the question then, if I can sell t-shirts and make $10 on every single t-shirt, am I better off than if I do a deal with Walmart where I make a dollar on every t-shirt? Well, I think you're going to know the answer to that one because of the economy of scale, the multiples that Walmart is likely to have. The same thing is true with the publisher. I do look at things both ways. The other thing, and here's the final point on this. The other thing is don't assume that the old contracts that authors had are the only option. Now I'm sworn to secrecy 
in the contract that I have because it's very, very unlike any that I've ever had before and any that I've ever seen another author have. It's very much a business agreement. It's not like the old thing where the publisher has all the cards in their hands and I'm the little little author and I'm going to get peanuts every time they sell a book. It's not like that at all, trust me. It's very much a, a very compatible, equitable business agreement. I'm excited about it. We've removed the risk for them on the front end, but then if the book is successful, I'm going to, I'm going to benefit, you know, four, five times what typically an author does. So I'm very happy with it. Great question, but uh, that's why I'm going to the publisher You know, wisdom meets passion. And we're doing a lot of uh, advanced work on that right now, lining things up. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. That'll come out in September. Hey, thanks for being part of the 48 days community. We know that you are already weird. You're not normal. You're not like those people who think work is a curse. You're out here finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, jump in the 48days.net community. If you've got novel ideas and you want some support and advice for bringing those to life, love to see you there. Have a great week. Send your questions in anytime. We'll be happy to consider them here on 48 Days Online Radio.